be with the coach. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. www.d20radio.com Welcome to Me and Steve Talk RPGs, a podcast where me and my friend Steve try and help you get the most out of your role-playing game experience. Welcome back to Me and Steve Talk RPGs, and what is up, Gamer Nation? Today, I think we're going to get into some stuff and talk about running a game you've never run before. Is that right, Steve? Well, that or even just playing a game you've never played before, but running it as well. Yeah. I think it's it's all sort of spawns out of I, being kind of proud of myself, ran my first Call of Cthulhu game last weekend. So that was fun. That's a wonderful game. It's a really great system, man. It's really great. I don't think we <laughs> need to tell anybody who listens to this podcast how great of a system Call of Cthulhu is, but I'll tell you anyways, it's a really great system. <laughs> Yeah, it's really simple. It's not hard to understand. There's almost no complex mechanics. I mean, it, it's it's wonderful. No, it's not incredibly strong for actual combat, but it does the job. And in in the context of Call of Cthulhu, if you're actually having combat, you're probably doing it wrong. Yeah, I don't mean to be rude, but that's kind of true. And it's just a great system. And mm-hmm. I did a I did a lot of research before I actually ran a Call of Cthulhu game because I didn't want to do it wrong. And so let's just get into it. Um, Is there anything else you want to talk about before we dive into this headlong? Yeah, let's go ahead and give a shout out to one of the other D20 radio shows. So I want to shout out the Staggering Dragon for their really awesome actual play of G.I. Joe Genesis, which is really cool. Yeah, I listened to that. Well, I listened to the first episode of it. It's all I've gotten through so far, but. They're a riot. They really are. And they, I think my favorite part about Staggering Dragon is they get G.I. Joe. There, there's a lot of people who are like, G.I. Joe, it's super serious. Like when those movies came out, they were like taking it super serious. I'm like, no, that's not, you're missing the point. <laughs> the point is that it's goofy. Like, you know, why do you like this? Well, because it's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> and yeah, now I, I will say. And I love the disclaimer at the beginning of the show, but it is it is an adult show. Yeah, it is. It's not one for kids, I'm sorry. But you know what? If you're in for a good time and you just want to have something that you're going to get a good laugh out of, Staggering Dragon is great. And those guys seem like really nice guys, and definitely go check them out. So with that, I guess now we go back to talking about your adventures in Call of Cthulhu. My adventures in Call of Cthulhu, where my players fought a bugbear except they didn't fight they lost to a bugbear aha (laughs) i made a whole bugbear cult it was great (laughs) because i thought about it and i'm like what's the most terrifying creature no what's the most common DD creature that would be terrifying in real life and i was like a bugbear or no not (laughs) i'm sorry i keep saying bugbear i mean owlbear oh not a bugbear. Bugbears are just big furry dudes. I don't... That, that, no. I mean an owlbear. <laughs> or as Russ Morrissey calls them, a bear owl. Yeah. Those things are terrifying. They really are, too, you know? Like, it's like a big bear with owl face, and you have, like, an owl cult, and it was great. And they ended up <laughs> crazy. 
and that's exactly how I want to play every Call of Cthulhu game, where my players end crazy. My one player was dying, and the other one was crazy. It was great. <laughs> we ended with oh. one hit point, and the other one was, like, slobbering in the corner. <laughs> oh, Call of Cthulhu is such a wonderful game for one-shots, too. It really lends itself to it, and we talked about it before where I said, I didn't know that you could run, and I was joking, but not joking at the same time, that, like, there's just so many good one-shot potentials with Call of Cthulhu that it's hard to believe that that game even lends itself to being such a good long-running campaign game as well. Yeah, well, actually, I mean, now this is going back some years, and it was in 5th edition at that point, that is, you know, 5th edition for Call of Cthulhu, that was the the first real long-term campaign I ever played in was, um, actually, at that point, it was the original Delta Green, mm. you know, when it was still a, a Call of Cthulhu sub-thing or whatever, yeah. Yeah. So, let me ask you, you know, what? how did you go about it? Because had you ever even played it before? Other than playing Delta Green, I had not played Call of Cthulhu. So, where I started was actually really simple. I went to YouTube, and... I looked up how to play Call of Cthulhu. Okay. And I'm not going to shout out any particular YouTube video. There are tons of them out there, and a lot of them are very, very good. I found a couple actual plays that showed how to make characters. I found a couple people breaking down story beats and how to tell a better story. And that's where I start with almost any game that I want to play. So with Call of Cthulhu, I'd never played in it before. But I knew I was going to end up running it. So I just started with acting like I was going to be a player. That gives you the very, in my opinion, in most games, starting out like you're a player gives you the very base understanding of how the game runs. And then you start looking into DM tips or GM tips. And that gives you more depth. And then you break out the book and start reading essentially the core rules of how to run it, okay? Mm-hmm. And and that's how I just, that's how I grab any book and just go, I want to learn how to play this. I start with watching a couple videos, learn about the system, learn about how to play in it, so I understand where the players are going to be coming from. Then I move into learning about how to run it or how to tell a better story. That really helps get a firm grasp of, okay, on the DM side or GM side, this is how this works. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You know, I guess... Well, I mean, you know, now with, with YouTube and, and even podcasts out there, there is a lot more out there than there was, well, when, when I first got introduced to Call of Cthulhu. But I think for me, as a player, well, you know, typically I just go in and ask questions and dive in and don't worry about it too much. But, you know, like I think for me, like I want to get a grasp of the, the core resolution mechanic. And then the second thing is probably I want to make a character because that, to me, like, crystallizes a lot of things in my mind as to how it works and how things interact. Oh, absolutely. And so when I, when I talk about reading the book, that's what I mostly focus on. Because the little nuanced stuff, you know, the little nuanced stuff can change. Say I was running Call of Cthulhu for people who were massive Cthulhu heads, who all they played was Call of Cthulhu. That's all they wanted. You know, they didn't want to play Dungeons and Dragons. They wanted to play Call of Cthulhu. And so they played 20 years of Call of Cthulhu. I want to know how the core of that game runs. You know, 
I want to know how to do everything at a base level. And if I get the little rules wrong, that's okay. I can get corrected or we can move on with a little rule. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. So that was where I started with Call of Cthulhu is I started with reading the book and I love how that book is laid out. I'll just say it up front. It's so great. Uh, which, which edition do you have? I was using the seventh edition. Okay, the new one? Yes. And that book is laid out just about perfectly for me, because everybody who listens to this podcast has probably heard me say, if you gave me a book that was fluff, and then there's a page in the middle that just says, warning, tables ahead, I would be in my glory. <laughs> like, if you tell me that you've split the fluff from the character creation, I'm happy. And Call of Cthulhu does the cyberpunk thing, where there's fluff, but it's in sidebars. I see, the, the last version of it that I've actually read, and it's sitting over here next to me, but I have the 5th edition core book, but I, don't, I haven't got the 7th edition yet. Yeah, I got my hands on it, I got it used. I basically, I, I ordered it online, I was like, Anybody getting rid of one of these? And I got on eBay and somebody was selling one. And I was like, ooh, I'll take that. You know what? I mean, used books are just as good as new ones to me. Yeah. But like I said, it's it's kind of great. The story, they have a whole mythos section. But when you get into the core of it, like I said, this this newest edition was really, really nice for splitting. This is what you need to know. And this is what the fluff says. I love that, especially when you're trying to run a game you've never played or, or read or run before. I would prefer you keep your storytelling stuff out of the book, like not out of the book, but out of the gameplay stuff. Give me your core gameplay loop, and then I'll look into your story. I'll use that for my creation. Mm -hmm. And You know, it's, it's really, really, like... I keep saying Call of Cthulhu is a really good game. Like, I need to tell you people that Call of Cthulhu is a really good game, but seriously. And it helps when you have good players. So the, the players that I was running for, they, none of them had played Call of Cthulhu before. Uh, I think two of them had read the book, so they were on the same level that I was. But the third one had not touched any of it, and they just jumped right in headfirst. And it's so nice to play with players that do that. So... Let me ask you this. You know, I know one of the reservations a lot of people have with a new game, and obviously this is going to vary by what game it is, but how complex did you find the system to both learn yourself and teach these players? So the newest edition of Call of Cthulhu has, it, it almost reminds me of if you took a D20, okay, if you made Cyberpunk a D100 game, that's what the character sheet and system sort of reminds me of. So it's kind of nice in that it's not like you don't have to think too much about what you want to do. So it's not hard to teach players how to do things. Mm -hmm. It's 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 pretty self-explanatory. One of the big things that I'll say is and just be careful when you're running a game. If you're new at running a game and your players are new at running a, at, at playing that game. Maybe don't jump in with players that have never played any RPGs before. You know what I mean? I don't want to say that to be like, oh, don't play. No, I'm saying that, like, maybe if your friends haven't played any RPGs before, 
and you just got this book, do some serious research before you offer to run that game, is what I'm getting at. Okay, I see what you're saying. Although, I mean, if you're all new, it's not like you have a ton of frame of reference. No, and that's true, but you can get yourself into situations where you can just sort of end up in a situation where you're like, I don't get this, and your players aren't getting it because you don't know how to explain it to them. You know what I mean? That's true. And I don't, again, I'm not saying that to be like, oh, don't play RPGs if you don't know how to play them. No. Play anything. Play everything. That's great. But just be cautious. If you're going to run a system, if you're going to run a game for players that have never played before, and you're teaching them how to play the game, have more of a grasp of the book than, like, I might. Right? So, like, that Call of Cthulhu game, my players had played RPGs before, but if that was their first time touching anything, I would probably have a hard time with both teaching them and learning the system at the same time. That's fair. That's fair. And I think, you know what, if, if everyone at the table's new, there's a lot of, a lot of much more rules-like games out there, even though Call of Cthulhu isn't terribly complex, it is a little more in depth than than some other games and and you might be better off you know especially right now there's so many rules like games out there that are that are really designed to be new gamer friendly oh yeah oh absolutely and you know there's even rules heavy games that are designed to be more new gamer friendly that's true i think i think the rules heavy games Though, and, and this is a, a separate discussion, really, but I think that the trend right now that, that I'm noticing in the industry is that rules-heavy games are tending to be more, either more established intellectual properties, be it Warhammer, Cyberpunk, stuff like that, or, and I don't know that I want to call them necessarily rules-heavy, but you get into the, the toolbox-type games, like Genesis and Savage Worlds and Cortex and stuff like that. Yeah, I I agree with you there. Though at the same time, I think Dungeons and Dragons is a rules heavy game. If you went off of the if you went off of the Dungeons Master's Guide, that game is very dense. Yeah, there's a lot of hidden trip ups in it, is the way I would say it. You know, like there's a lot of stuff where okay, it's worded this way, it means this, this range, this can you see, you know what I mean? Like, there's a lot of nitpicky stuff, and it's kind of new person friendly for players, so to speak, but not necessarily so much to just, oh, I'm new to RPGs and I want to run this. Not saying you can't, because many, many people have. And I agree with you there. It isn't that you can't run it. It's just that, like I said, if you pick up that Dungeons Master's Guide and you actually look into it, it's a pretty hefty book yeah and i mean you know mine mine has all these little tabs and stuff sticking out of it and that's stuff that just like there are rules for what and i remember this from second edition because i used it at one point if you have certain crystals you can avoid different effects like i want to say opal would like if you were holding an opal crystal you couldn't get drunk okay i don't remember that from the second edition days but i'm doesn't surprise me either. It was just one of those weird things that I had read. This this says a little bit about me. When I was a new DM and DMing second edition, I read that and was like, 
oh crap, my players are going to read that, and then they're going to have a bunch of opal crystals, and then when I try to get them drunk to get them to do something, because, like, my brain was like, they're going to read this chapter, and I'm going to have to know this, and so, like, the second edition book, I, I, I really hated myself, but I read cover to cover. <laughs> <laughs> and so I learned a lot of stuff about that game that I didn't need to know. That's, that's how it goes with Dungeons & Dragons sometimes, is there are a lot of rules in Dungeons & Dragons that you just don't need to know. And you don't need to know them because, nine times out of ten, your players don't know them. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, there, there comes a point, too, where, okay, so there's a printed rule for this, but maybe at your table you run it a different way and, and nobody cares. Yeah, or whatever. Seriously, like, whatever, whatever goes on, I just feel like Dungeons and Dragons is a more rules-heavy book and game than most people give it credit for, because they it's the one that almost everybody starts with. Some people don't start with it, or some people don't even play it, but when you talk about the role-play game, like, my girlfriend who doesn't know anything about anything when it comes to role-playing games, when I told her, oh, I play tabletop role-playing games, she goes, oh, Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. Yeah, that one. <laughs> You know, it's it's the one that everybody knows. Yeah, especially here in the U.S., but... Yeah, part of that's its popularity among streaming, and part of that's the popularity of Critical Role, and part of it's just its sort of cultural significance in the American culture is, like, in the 80s, it, it was this big thing, but, you know, and now, yeah. it's, now it's seeing a resurgence, and... Now with everybody trapped inside, they want contact, so they're playing that. And it's just, you know, it's just this whole, it's ubiquitous, is what it is. And you get to a point where you go, oh, okay, well, Dungeons & Dragons, but it is, it's rules heavy, it's not, it's not as light as a lot of people make it out to be. And then when you show them a rules light game, they go, wow, there's like nothing to this. Yeah, there, I mean, there's a lot of them out there that you know, I was I was looking around at different stuff earlier today, and there's tons of games out there that run on you know one or two d six, and that's it. You know, the, the the mechanics don't have to be complex. It can it can heck. There's games out there that run on cards. Cards. They're playing cards. I mean, yeah, it, there there are games that run off playing cards. There are games that run off one d six. Like I uh, I'm trying to drop which one it was, but I just saw about it. I was like, oh, that's awesome. I saw one on, on drive-thru today. It was kind of an oddball game, but it, it was 1D6, and I think you played artifacts in a museum that has like, long since closed, but has like, come to life. It was really kind of, I forget what it was called, but it was, it was odd, but it, it seemed like it was a really simple, you know, it was advertising as a really simple way to play. Yeah, that's Rules Light, and Rules Light games are one of the best ones to grab and go. Like, if you've never played that game before, I've found that rules like games are really great to just yoink, play, throw it on the table, because there aren't that many hard rules that you need to follow. Yeah. And so that's that's definitely something that, like, if you're looking to run a game, but you don't want to put a ton of time into learning a system, pick a rules like game you like, because I'm sure there's one out there you can find that you like. You know? Even, you know, we've talked about them before, but one-page games. One-page games, and those are literally just, I mean, it takes how long to read a page of text. 
Yeah. It, it, it really does. It takes, what, if you're slow, 20 minutes? If you're really analyzing it? But a lot of those, you know, be it, you know, Honey Heist or the, the one that I put up uh, on Games of the Week a while ago, Jason Statham's Big Vacation. I mean, it's one page, but the way he has it written out, it's it's like, it's written like it's scrawled on notebook paper. So if you actually, like, typed it out, it would probably be half a page. Right. And then you have stuff like the 200-word RPG challenge. Yes. 200 words. How fast can you read 200 words? Because you can have that ready in no time. And, you know, those are games that you don't need to do any research to learn how to play them. It's when you're looking to play something that's complex that I advise, we do live in the future, go use the tools available to you. There are a lot of great DMs and GMs out there who more than likely played the game that you want to play. And they are putting out content because everybody puts out content. If you can't find it for the game that you want to play, well, maybe reach out to the creator and see if they have any tips. Because I don't mean to make this sound rude, but if the game's small enough that nobody else is playing it, it's pretty small and you should probably reach out to, you could probably reach out to the creator with no issues. Well, you know, that's something that, that I've learned doing this podcast that a lot of times in your head, or at least in my head, and maybe this is partially because of kind of growing up pre-internet in a lot of ways, you know, you always think of these people that, that write books as being unapproachable, kind of these, you know, whatever. Half the time anymore, you know, message people on Twitter or, and I mean, don't, you know, stalk them, but send them a, a quick DM or an email. If, if they're, they're making a game, they probably have a website, anything like that. And, and, the people in the RPG community now, most of them are really nice people and really are very happy to talk about their creations and, and what they're interested in. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm always sort of amazed when you're like, oh, well, I'm talking to this person or I'm talking to that person. When we started talking to GM Eric, we didn't even have, what, two episodes up? Yeah, something like that. And... We reached out to him, and he's like, yeah, absolutely, I'll be on your podcast. So it was like, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, and the other thing now, you know, with Kickstarter and, and Itch and, and all these things, there are a lot of people who, yeah, they've written a game, but in reality, they go to work every day, just like you and me and most of the rest of the world. They just do this game thing for fun in the evenings and on weekends. Yeah, pretty much. And then there's shows like ours, where we're out there trying to help you be better players and trying to help you do better things and we try to teach or not teach i don't want to say teach that's the wrong term we try to encourage universal ideas ideas that carry across not just to one game system but to, you know any game that you want to run yeah and once you get and this is going to sound a little weird but once you get a universal skill set for playing any RPG, that's exactly what you can do. You can play any RPG with that universal skill set. That understanding of rule of cool, that understanding of listening to your players, how to tell a story, how to narrate a world, how to give a world depth, that is all a universal skill set that carries across from D&D to Call of Cthulhu to Morkborg, to kids on bikes. Like, it all, it all carries across. Yeah, yeah, really, to be honest, once you've played a game 
you know, a, a session or two of almost any game, you're going to have an idea of how to play the game. You may not have a grasp of the mechanics, but the core of a role-playing game, you know, we say role-playing game all the time, and the way it's actually written, it's R-O-L-E, not R-O-L-L. And that means you're playing a role, like an actor. And that's really all you're doing. You're just pretending to be this person. You know, people will look at me funny and go, you, you play role-playing? What do you mean? I said, it's the simplest way I explain it. It's like cops and robbers when you were kids, except we're adults, and we have a few more rules. Yeah, all we do is keep little Timmy from saying, no, I got a shield. <laughs> yeah, basically, or yeah, th- th- that's all it is. You know, it's, it's not that difficult. And, and once you've played a, f- a few games, a couple games, it's, it's okay. It works a little different, but it's still the same thing. It's like driving a different car than the ones you're used to. No, you don't know where the turn signals and the headlights and the windshield washers are. Well, the turn signals are usually in the same spot, but you know, the, the headlights and the windshield wipers are different. And I swear every vehicle you ever get in, but it's, it's the same kind of thing. A number of times where I've gotten in a car and I've gone to turn on the headlights and I've turned on the wipers or I've turned on the wipers when I wanted to turn, you know, like, well, you know, the one that gets me, okay, my pickup truck, I push on the stock to turn the high beams on. <laughs> yeah, that's because it's a, yeah, okay. And my wife's old car, which was one year older, you pulled it to toggle. Mm-hmm. And that one still gets me. Well, and, and that one's hilarious because that one's dependent on manufacturer. And year. And year, yeah. Like, Honda typically is, Honda's typically a flick forward to turn on high beams. Mm-hmm. But like Nissan, you pull back until it clicks and then it turns on high beam. And like Chevy, I think, is usually pulled back. I'm not 100% sure. Well, see, that, that that's what got me because my pickup truck is a Chevy. It's an 04. Mm-hmm. Her car was a Pontiac and an 03. Oh, well, that's, that's because... So if it was an 03 Pontiac, that's because it wasn't a Chevy. It was a Holden. Chevy was just to nerd out for a half second, because you came to listen to our podcast, so I get to ramble for a minute, okay? (laughs) Chevy was purchasing cars from Australia in early 2000 and branding them under the Pontiac name because Holden was purchasing GM engines and slapping them in their own body styles. That's why the Pontiac GT and and things like that look the way they do, and they're not just a a Chevy Cobalt. Okay. So a lot of the interior stuff was just... Holden with a different badge, and Holden, you know, like I said, does the stocks differently. I thought that was the next generation, of the, the last generation of the Pontiacs that were that way, not... The, the, all of the, pretty much all of the 2000 Pontiacs were that way. Oh, the early, didn't the, know that. The early to late 90s, like when, when Pontiac was doing like the Grand Prix and stuff, mm-hmm. that was GM. And then it was like 2000, they switched to purchasing their cars from Holden, and then basically killed Pontiac at that point. <laughs> okay, no, that was, that was like 05, 06. Yeah, it was they, when they killed... Mm. Well, no, because th- my, my wife's car is an 03 Grand Prix. Oh, okay, so, yeah. And then there was a, another body style after that they still called the Grand Prix for a year or two, and then they went to, like, the G6 and all that. Oh, uh, okay. Well, then I'm thinking wrong. I don't know. I'm not a car historian. I... <laughs> Captain Rabbit Hole. Yeah, well, hey. <laughs> Look, it's open. I'm going to (laughs) jump. What's down here? Hey, look, I found the rabbit. (laughs) Now that we've had the me and Steve automotive hour, let's get back to (laughs) Call of Cthulhu. That's a different podcast. This is me and you complaining about cars for an hour. 
<laughs> now, let me ask you this, just because they're in the same family. Having now played both of them, how would you compare Delta Green and Call of Cthulhu? Different, but much of the same. Mm -hmm. I almost feel that, and this is going to sound weird, I almost feel that Delta Green is a better flushed out version of Call of Cthulhu. In that Delta Green's character creation... Okay, so we're going to get into some nitty gritty on 7th edition Call of Cthulhu. Because I want to start reading some of these stats, or some of how you create stats in Call of Cthulhu. Okay. And let me bring it up here, because I have a digital version I bought after buying the used copy. I was like, I want a digital version for my tablet, so I bought one of those. So, alright, so rolling stats. Not so much the skills, because the skills are pretty much the same. So, mm -hmm. in, in Delta Green, you remember you had a whole long list of all these skills that you could do, all these things. That was pretty much the same between Call of Cthulhu and Delta Green. They changed the name on some stuff, but it's, it's all pretty much the same stuff. Mm -hmm. When you're rolling dice to actually get your numbers... There is some really weird math that has to be done in Call of Cthulhu to get your numbers. That's what I'm trying to get to because I want to describe some of it to you. Because I don't remember this from Delta Green. When we rolled Delta Green characters, I don't remember having to do like... Alright, so here we go. Power, alright? 3d6 times 5. Mm -hmm. Or education, 2d6 plus 6 times 5. Okay. And then like... Your appearance, 3d6 times 5. Your dexterity, 3d6 times 5. Your size, 2d6 plus 6 times 5. That's really mathy, especially coming off what I normally do with Dungeons & Dragons, which is just 4d6 and drop the lowest. And I don't remember doing that with Delta Green. I remember Delta Green being a little bit cleaner. Delta Green doesn't have the EDU and whatnot. They do do the stats. Actually, I think they do 46, drop the low, then multiply by 5. Right. But that's really just to give you a percentage value for your stat. Yeah. See, that's what I thought. I was like, I remember them doing something easy. And it, it was. It's just 46, drop the lowest, times 5. And mm. for whatever reason, proper Call of Cthulhu has some pretty ridiculous number generation, and I don't get it. Well, I think some of it, one, you know, Call of Cthulhu is still mechanically very similar to the, the game that Sandy Peterson wrote in, I believe, 81. Yeah. Whereas Delta Green... Is something, like, pretty much brand new. 2016, I believe it came out? Yeah. And so it does has benefited from, what is that, 35 years of, of play? Well, but you got to keep in mind, I'm playing the most recent version of Call of Cthulhu. Mm -hmm. And you would think that... Okay. Let's break into it a little bit. Cyberpunk Red comes out, and it's, like, it's different than Cyberpunk 2020. Significantly different than Cyberpunk 2020. Okay, I haven't gotten to read it a ton yet, but my impression is it's not tremendously different mechanically. It's not, but it is. It really is Cyberpunk 2020 brought to a modern era. Mm -hmm. So, it's what I really feel that the most recent edition of Call of Cthulhu should be, which should be this game. It would almost be like if, if they put out Vampire and the Masquerade and the newest edition is almost identical to the first edition other than minor tweaks. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I don't have any proof of this. And, you know, I don't, I don't know anything about 
the old editions of Call of Cthulhu because I never played Call of Cthulhu before. But it does feel old. Like, old in a very particular way, coming from somebody who played a lot of second editions Dungeons & Dragons, who loves Cyberpunk 2020. It feels old in that very particular, like, late 80s, early 90s kind of old way. Again, don't have any proof of that, but it, it just kind of has that feel of, like, we're quirky, and it's it's fine, it is what it is, you can roll characters, but it does make it confusing for somebody who's not used to doing that much math to roll a character up. Well, I think maybe I'm going to point at a couple of factors, I think, that, that play into what you're saying there, and I'm not going to say you're wrong. I think two things. One... This is, is one of the big differences between Call of Cthulhu and Delta Green, in that Call of Cthulhu is designed to be played in effectively any era, although many people like to play in, like, the 1920s. If I recall right, at least the core book that, that I have, which is the 5th edition from the 90s, has 1890s, 1920s, maybe 1950s, and the 1990s in it. Delta Green... The history of Delta Green as an organization, which is where the game gets its title, starts in 1928, but most of your gameplay is is either, you could do some in the 50s probably, technically the 60s belong to fall of Delta Green, but then most of it is played in the modern modern era, you know, we'll call it 1990 to, to current. Anyway, to get back to where I was, was talking about this, because Call of Cthulhu is often played in an older time period, they may be doing that partially for aesthetic reasons because of that. The other thing is that I think your target audience for Call of Cthulhu is an older generation of gamers. I've noticed this. If you look at any video actual plays of Call of Cthulhu, it does tend to be more older players than newer players, or at least in what I've seen. Yeah, I've seen that. I see more older players playing Call of Cthulhu. And it is, it's aimed more towards a classic setting, or any genre, any any period, really. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I don't know that, I just don't know that it's really the most efficient way for them to have done any of this. You know what I mean? Yeah, I get what you're saying. And with years and years and years of Delta Green being out, and all of the innovations that we've had in gaming, really feels like they could have they could do better. But that's, again, just personal preference. That's that's me going, like, if you look at where Delta Green's at, and you look at where Dungeons & Dragons is at, you'll go, eh, there's, there's a pretty big difference here. You know what I mean? That's not me yeah. saying anything bad about Delta Green, because the people that love it are fanatical. Please don't jump down my throat. I know. It's a good game. I said it was a good game at the top of this episode. It's a really okay. good game. But there are things that could use some work. Dungeons You're talking Dragons Call of Cthulhu, not Delta Green, right? What? Or both? Call of Cthulhu, sorry, not Delta Green. <laughs> Just making sure, because you were starting to lose me. No, I, I didn't mean to start to lose you. I'm talking about I'm talking about Call of Cthulhu, not Delta Green. Well, the other thing, too, I don't know if you've ever seen it, there is a setting out there, I forget who publishes it, it's a supplement for Call of Cthulhu, I don't think it's Chaosium, but it's called Cthulhu Invictus, and it's to play Call of Cthulhu in Roman times. Yeah, and and that's neat, but like I said, it's I like the D one hundred system. I like the match or under rolling system. I really think that's cool. I think that allows for, and it it definitely allowed me for it, degrees of failure. Mm -hmm. 
or degrees of success. Because it's a percentage, you know what percentage they're trying to beat, and so you know what their low is, and you know what their high is. You know what I mean? Yeah. So rather than it being... Well, doesn't, doesn't, seventh, doesn't seventh Ed have the hard and extreme successes built in? Yes, it does. And the other thing is, is that with those, those are really nice. I find that Dungeons and Dragons can be very binary. Yes or no. This? No. This is a lot less binary. This is a lot more, like, incremental. Yeah, I, it feels that way. And it, it does. It, it doesn't feel like you just, you just did the thing. It feels like if you fail at doing what you were trying to do, well, you tried, and you tried really hard. You didn't just yes or no do the thing. Mm-hmm. Combat? Combat's okay. Combat is just fun. I didn't have any issues with combat. It was, it was kind of fun. Yeah. Well, and what I said at the beginning of the show, I just mean that Call of Cthulhu is not a game designed to do a dungeon crawl combat heavy game. Oh, no, no. It's just not what it was built for. Anytime combat happened, it was, (laughs) it was always player on player combat, (laughs) Uh, whether they intended it for it to be or not. I, because to go back to where we started, I had one player who was going insane and the other one who was almost dead. Why do you think the other one was almost dead? <laughs> oh, yeah. And you know, the other thing, and I don't know, it doesn't sound like you took advantage of it, but with Call of Cthulhu being, uh, having been around for as long as it has, there are so, so many pre-written adventures and, and scenarios for that that it's, it's boggling. Well, and to come back to our topic, that's another great tool for if you've never run a system before. If there are pre-written modules and you like one of those pre-written modules, grab it. It teaches you how to run the system in most in most cases. With Dungeons and Dragons especially, those pre-written's teach you how to play that game as a dungeon master. They really really do because I know that like I know that for me, the Yawning Portal, I picked that up because I wanted a bunch of one-shots that I could throw in anywhere. And those mm-hmm. were great and you know, first time running 5th edition, I ran the first Yawning Portal dungeon, essentially. And it does. It walks you through, basically holds your hand, walks you through the steps of how to DM this game. What checks they're making, what difficulties those checks are, what monsters they're encountering, how they're fighting their monsters. Basically, the only things you really need to know are the core, core mechanics of the game. Yeah. For me, if I'm getting ready to run something new, like I said, I, I'm going to get the core re- the core resolution mechanic down and then probably make a character, at least if I don't actually write it down, still go through the process mentally. And from there, you know, like, like you were saying, it becomes that, that tool set that you've, you've kind of built of, okay, well, this is how we play a role-playing game. So if I know the core resolution mechanic, even if I don't have 100% right, I can fudge it in the moment. Oh, yeah. And I can go, well, this is how this is going to work for right now until I can figure out how it actually works. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is, I think this is something that a lot of people, you just touched on it a little bit about making a character. If you're running a game you've never played before, and I did this. When I was running Call of Cthulhu, I made all of my characters for my players to play. I made pre-gens. 
the reason I did that is oftentimes familiarizing yourself with the character creation process gives you a very good glimpse into what those core mechanics are. Exactly. And so sitting down and making two, three, four characters really gets you a firm grasp of, oh, okay, so there's this mechanic and this mechanic and this mechanic and this mechanic. And it gets you an idea of what you want to look at when you move into looking into how to run the game in the book. The other thing that, that honestly that can do for you that'll pay dividends is when your players are looking for the skill you just told them to roll because you've just spent a couple hours looking at these character sheets, you know where to point them to. Right. And if you're me, you physically wrote out the character sheets because you couldn't get the character sheet creator to work properly. <laughs> so that's one thing. Yeah, well, I said I spent a couple hours the other night transferring the pre-mades from the Delta Green Quick Start into form-fillable PDF sheets. Yeah, but again, like I said, when you sit, and then the other thing is, that allows for faster players at table gameplay. One of the things that can get you confused when you sit down at the table to play your new game, you have all of your notes, writing all of your notes out, and your players show up and they go, okay, let's roll characters. Uh, okay. Now we gotta sit here and walk every one of these players through rolling a character, and they're gonna take forever to read the book, to decide what they want to play, and they're gonna try and figure out who oh, I want to be a private eye, or I want to be a, a, I want to be a pilot. I want to be a, you know, mob boss. Like, we're going to sit here. We're going to go through all these options. And eventually we're going to get there. And that can be frustrating, to say the least. Mm -hmm. Especially for you, who's like, the, the DM who's like, oh, I've been doing all this research and I'm ready to play the game. And now we're going to sit here for however long it takes to get all of these players rolled characters. And that's why we advise at session zero. Or, if you have pre-gens, if you sit and make characters, like full-on characters. I don't mean like, Cyberpunk 2020 has rules for quick and dirty. But, don't make quick and dirty characters for your players that are coming to sit down at the table. Make full-fledged characters. That is one thing I did notice in, in what I've gotten to read of uh, Cyberpunk Red so far. There are several methods of character generation, some of which are extremely quick. Yeah, and that's fine. Nothing wrong with a quick character generator, but what I'm getting at is that, you know, like Dungeons & Dragons has these little blurbs in the bottom of 5th edition in the, in the player handbook that's like, well, if you're just looking to make a character, here, just put these stats in. Don't do mm -hmm. that. Make a character the way you would make a character. Because again, yeah. it just goes through and reinforces that idea of, Oh, cool. So the spot hide mechanic, that's a pretty important thing to know. Or if they ever get in a car, I gotta know they gotta have this, like, driving mechanic. Or, or driving skill. Or it just familiarizes you with the character sheet, with what the characters can do a lot of the times, and saves you time at the table where time is necessary. I, I think that's yeah. one of my biggest things is that I, I don't mind coming into a table and sitting down and walking people through rolling characters, that's not a problem. But when the whole table has to roll characters, that takes forever. It just does. Especially if you're doing a one-shot, sometimes pre-gens really can make it a lot easier because 
as the the GM, you know kind of what's needed so you can have a this role, a that role, or whatever, and you don't have to worry about them running into something and not having a means to deal with it. Yeah, I mean, not to put you on spot, but we ran into that when we played Delta Green. Yeah, we did. And it was, oh, well, yeah, we we didn't really, we didn't have anybody who was more combat focused, so we just were like, well, I guess we're done here. Yeah, we just kind of fudged the end of it, but we still had a good time. Oh, no, we had a blast. I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that we, it was a bad time. I'm not saying that it was a bad thing. I'm just saying that we ran into that with, with Delta Green. And like I said, it is one of those things where if you have pre-gen characters, then you sit down at the table with a stack of characters and go, pick one. Yep. And and it's first come, first serve. Whoever picks the... If Josh shows up first and he picks the private eye, sorry, private eye's taken. Yep. You know? And and that's just... Like I said, that's just how how it needs to be. I would I would just make pre-gens. I, I don't know why I just said it needs that's how it needs to be. I would make pre-gens that saves you time, saves you energy. And saving you time and energy is is important because you're going to need that in order to devote into reading that book and reading the core mechanics of that book. Well, yeah. It, it's it's it well, it's time that you don't have to spend when you all manage to make time to get together. Right. There's nothing worse than there's nothing worse than Oh yeah, I only have a couple hours and we can do this Saturday. It's going to be fine. We'll get everything together and we'll play this Saturday and then you all get together and it's you're out of time. You know, you get through character creation and it's like, "Well, hey, I um that was fun. I got to get going." Like Yeah. I we've had that. I've had that happen and I'm sure you've probably had that happen. I think we've had oh, yeah. that happen collectively where gone somewhere and been like we're going to play this, and then by the time you get characters made, it's like, oh, well, nah, we're not going to play, but... Yeah, yeah, and then the, the next time you're going to get together gets postponed because of, you know, who knows what, and... Yeah, or, then... you know, my buddy Aaron came up from the city. I only get to see him once in a once a year or so. Well, I know he can't waste time rolling a character because he drove an hour and a half to get to my house, and he's only going to have limited amounts of time to play. Yeah. That's just how it is. It's it's just a matter of you only have so many hours in a day, and people are only free for so long. So it's better to just have pre-made characters that are full-fledged characters. Maybe not full-fledged backstories, but full-fledged no. characters. And a lot of times, if I do that, I'll leave name, gender, whatever. I'll leave that blank. Let people fill that in however they want. Uh, see, I'm a little bit different than that. I'll fill in name. I won't necessarily put in gender and stuff, but I'll put a name in there. Because, for this exact reason, I made a couple names, and I just stuff off the top of my head for characters. And one was, like, Carol, one was, like, Bob, and then I used a name generator for the third. And, like, one was, like, I don't remember what his character's name was. It was, like, Mike, Bob, Nathaniel. It was three first names that the character came up with. And as soon as he read it, he dumped, he jumped into a character that he just had in his head. And the reason I do that is because I've had that happen a lot more than... Oftentimes, if you leave it up to the players to come up with a name, they're going to sit there and struggle with a name. 
if you throw a name on the character sheet and they like that, they're going to run with that name. Yeah, well, either way. It helps the players find a personality for that character that they're playing faster, in my opinion. No, I, I, I think both ways are valid. I mean... Yeah, no, I'm not saying that one way is not valid or one way is, but just a thought. Yeah, well, they both have their strong points, I think. Yeah. I think that kind of covers pretty good your experience than starting something new. Yeah. I've been trying to read a whole bunch of new games, but I haven't actually gotten to play anything brand new in a while. Well, hey, you want to help that problem? Let's get into Game of the Week. Game of the Week? Game of the Week. Game of the Week. (laughs) All right. (laughs) I think it's your turn this week, because you made me go first last week. Fine. I have the Extraordinary Adventures of Baron Baron Munchausen. Uh Uh-huh. Third edition. It's... 895 drive through RPG. It looks like a Lemony Snicket novel if it was an RPG. It looks like a good time. Baron Munchausen's tales of his extraordinary adventures are legendary. Uh, this is a quote directly from, from drive through. This is just the first tagline. Riding cannonballs through the sky, sailing to the moon, meeting gods, escaping from the Turkish army on a half a horse, and many more. This just sounds like a fun, silly RPG. Third edition, it was published by Fantasy Flight in 2016. Rest in peace, Fantasy Flight Games. Currently published by Magnum Opus. Fantasy Flight Games isn't going anywhere, folks, but it feels like it sometimes. Oh, they must have sold that off or something because most of their games transferred to Edge. Yeah, this I think this was sold to Magnum Opus because that's who's that's who's publishing this. Which is fine, because Magnum Opus has some interesting stuff. Yeah. They do the If series, which is pretty interesting. I'm sure we'll talk about that at some point. Yeah, that does sound like kind of a, a fun little romp. Yeah, just a just a silly book, and it, it is it looks silly, it has a silly title, and could just be a good time. That's fair. So what do you got? Oh, well, I went digging around today, and I found a game that, and it kind of ties in, and we were talking about you at the very beginning of the show with the Staggering Dragon and their G.I. Joe thing. This is called Dogs of War, and it's W asterisk A asterisk R, like like the old MASH show. Okay. And what it is... Is it a MASH RPG? No. This is effectively... I wanted to play Radar. It's actually a conversion of an 80s game of the same name, but it's updated to the Everywhen system, which is based off of Barbarians of Lemuria. It's just a simple 2D6 system, but uh, I'll read the blurb here. It says, They're fighting a dirty war. The world's newest and most secret strike force, the Worldwide Armed Response Unit, and its elite operatives, the Dogs, operate beyond the reach of politics and red tape. Their objective? Swift retribution against terrorist groups, drug barons, crime lords, and other dregs of society. And it goes on, but it's essentially Delta Force, Rambo, I want to say it seems a little more edgy than G.I. Joe, but still that, that very much that 80s action, military, probably pretty over the top. You know, just like I said, it looks to me like, no, maybe it's not something I'd want to play a lot all the time, but it would be really fun to do two or three sessions here and there with. Yeah, and this runs off the everyone system. Every win, yes. Yeah. There's a actually a bundle on drive through for $14. Yeah. Although the way I read it, and I, I looked at the preview, it looks like 
you don't need every win to run it. Maybe not, but uh, like I said, there is uh let me see here. Yeah, the bundle's 14, the PDF for Dogs of War is I mean, 6 bucks. And this I think oh yeah, oh this is well, about 6 months old. Yeah, I'm just making sure that you don't need so I don't think you I think you're right that you don't actually need the everyone's system. Yeah, it looks that way. It looks like you can run it without. That sounds yeah, cool. But... I I would play something with that. Oh yeah, it, like I said it, it feels it feels like I said like like you know, call it, you know, like the original Delta Force you know, that kind of thing is, is, is right in its wheelhouse. Yeah. Like those, like Chuck Norris films looks like it would fit yes. in well. You could probably run a MASH game with that, but. I don't know. I, I, now you have me curious and I'm going to have to go look and see if there's a MASH RPG. Cause <laughs> I love that show. Oh, I, I do too, but she doesn't like it. So I don't get to watch it. <laughs> I turned it on one day. She's like, this is old. I'm like, oh, oh but it's so good. It is. It really is. So, you know what? I, I meant to mention this earlier. Did you see the kind of big RPG news thing that hit this week about Paizo and Pinnacle? No. Enlighten me. Okay. This this just dropped. Uh, in fact, actually, one of our listeners posted it in our Discord, but I saw it elsewhere, too. Uh, Pinnacle, Pinnacle Entertainment announced that they will be releasing some of the Pathfinder adventure paths for the Savage World system. Yeah, you know what? Yeah, you did talk about that. So weird. So weird. Well, the thing I can think, one, Pinnacle, they did have a lot of success with the Savage Rifts, which is their adaptation of the, the Rifts from Palladium, and Pathfinder is, for for lack of a better way to say it, at least to my understanding, is a little bit crunchier version of D&D in, in many ways. Last edition, I should say. I don't know about the most recent edition, but the last edition was considered 3.75. Yeah, so I'm wondering if it's just... Because my understanding is a lot of people really do like the Pathfinder, you know, adventure paths and, and the campaigns, but maybe don't want to deal with all the, the crunch of Pathfinder. So Savage World said, hey, look, you know, can we adapt this? And Pinnacles or Paizo said, sure, I guess. I but that's, I think, supposed to be hitting Kickstarter next month, January, the first one. Yeah, yeah, that's what it looks like. Well, going back to Call of Cthulhu, and I almost did this. It's an old version. There's an old version of Call of Cthulhu that is D20, published by Watsy. There's a new version of that, too. Sandy Peterson just released one. Yeah. So and Peterson and, Games. And I was really tempted to grab it and be like, mm, mm, mm. <laughs> You know what I mean? <laughs> I, I don't know. I, to me, and it may be because it's one of the first games I played, I would struggle playing Call of Cthulhu in something that was not D100. It just wouldn't feel right to me. Oh, no, I, I can understand that, but I'm kind of curious, if I'm honest. Oh, hey, you know, like we said. Be kind to one another. Try new games. It's really not as hard as you'd think. No. Intro and outro music by the band 12 Noon. You can email us at meandsteverpg at gmail.com. You can also find us at facebook.com slash meandsteverpg. Thank you and be kind to each other. How much for the cigar? Cigar, 20 bucks, dog. You got to go down the street to the store and buy that.